Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. How are you? Very well, Peter. And yourself? Yeah, can't complain. There's... Autumn's definitely here at the moment, isn't it? I don't know, on my drive to work this morning, I noticed lots of the lovely red That's leaves that have you know, gone from the yellow to the red, and next they'll be falling off, won't they? So they it must will. be it'll be fireworks night soon as well. Yeah, very much so. And the beach trees are looking marvellous, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, yeah, good. definitely. I think autumn is always a mm. lovely time of year for the yes. colour and the red sunsets at night. So. Mm, anyway. On some more pressing things, who have we got on the show today, Chris? Right, today, Peter, we've got Alan Down, who, uh, an incredible chap with over 50 years' experience working in various sectors of horticulture, from a plantsman to a journalist to a garden centre owner, nursery owner, a traveller, photographer. He's done everything, Propagator. And propagator, (laughs) yes. So we'll be delighted to, to, to chat with him on Dig It Today. Excellent. Good morning, Alan, and uh, welcome to Digit. And where do we find you today? Good morning, Chris. Uh, I'm in my studio, uh, my uh, workplace in the middle of our garden down here in South Somerset, in the lovely village of Tintonhull, which uh, many people will know because of the National Trust property, uh, Tintonhull Garden. But that's not mine. I'm at the other end of the village. With a very new garden. <laughs> Excellent, good, good. And Alan, perhaps before we, we, we chat with you um, and find out a little bit more about you, before we start, we must congratulate you on your new role, President of the Horticultural Trades Association. Um, you've been in the role for, for a few months now. How are you feeling about this, this, wonderful, uh, this wonderful role? Uh, well, it's not yet uh, two months, but um, I'm, I'm still very much a new boy. Um, but I'm absolutely delighted and honoured to take on the role. Uh, I've been involved with the Horticultural Trades Association for um, <laughs> probably 50 years. Oh, right. <laughs> um, basically, whenever um, I've always been on a, a committee of some sort or, or other um, throughout my career in the retail side of horticulture. And... Uh, Nearly four years ago, uh, we sold our business and our nursery, our garden centre and nursery, and I thought I'd retired. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a complete surprise to be asked to return to the Horticultural Trades Association uh, as their president. So, Alan, just, I mean, congratulations on the presidency of the HTA. Just for our listeners who possibly don't know, can you just give us a, a little description of what the HTA do and what they stand for? Oh, certainly, yes. The HTA stands for Horticultural Trades Association. Uh, it was set up in, I think, 1899 by a group of nurserymen and seedsmen who felt that they should be working closer together and having their interests represented. Okay. And that core purpose remains. Uh, so the HTA represents the interests of its members, and those members are growers, retailers, landscapers, service providers for the above, yeah. manufacturers and distributors. So it's a, it covers a very big field. And in particular, the HTA represents the, the ornamental, environmental sector of horticulture. Yep. So we have approximately 1,400 members of varying sizes. Some are uh, 
very large uh, centres or multiple garden centres. Uh, one member has over 60 uh, garden centres. Uh, and then we have some very small ones where it might be just the husband and wife running a business. So we, we, we are uh, trying to reflect and support businesses of all size. Our, our, our headquarters are in Didka. We've got between 45 and 50 employees. We've got a few vacancies at the moment. That's why that figure is 45 and 50. Um, and the main role of the HTA is, is uh, to support the members. And we do that in many ways, particularly in lobbying government. Um, right. So, for instance, think about uh, how garden centres were enabled to open uh, during COVID, recognising the health and well-being being that gardening and visiting garden centres brings to society. Uh, the HTA was uh, very much uh, a part, the prime mover in, in getting that uh, uh, recognised. Uh, yeah. So we also lobby gardener, um, government for um, a, a, having more seasonal workers, uh, to upskill the workforce, to employ more um, to uh, represent the industry on peak use reduction, energy cost, water shortages, planning, uh, system, but generally assisting government uh, to reach its targets on greening and CO2 reduction um, and many other things. It sounds an enormous role you've taken on there. <laughs> and it's a, a massive association. <laughs> yes, it's brilliant. It is a massive association, but as I say, you know, there's a there's a big team, uh, and and that team um, is led by a senior leadership team that is now complete. In fact, uh, not quite complete. We get a new chief executive joining in January, which will, I hope, will take uh, some of the work that the president has to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that will be the case. And you might think, well, how do, how does the HTA do this? Well, there's membership. The subscription is paid by members, large and small, and they vary according to the size of the business, uh, contributes uh, funds. But the largest funding mechanism is the gifting scheme. So that's the National Garden Gift Card. Um, and that finances much of what the Horticultural Trade Association does. It's a very successful scheme. Yeah, I mean, I certainly remember as a child, yeah. it used to be the paper vouchers and now you've moved forwards onto the sort of credit card style ones, haven't mm. you? And yeah, it's a yeah. it's a really good scheme because it's such a lovely present. To, if you can't it think is. of what it plant is. to give your mother or your father, it, it sorts it all out. It's perfect. Yeah. It's a lot easier than posting a tree, isn't it? <laughs> Most definitely, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, and there, there, I mean, so that's the prime mover in terms of financing. But the, 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 the HTA also uh, provides training, a lot of it's e-training uh, for staff of nurseries and garden centres. They they also uh, agree standards of of, of uh, plant quality uh, and and other things. Uh, they provide support services, be it. Uh, human resources, insurance, banking, energy efficiency, packaging, waste, and, and so on. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, but the gifting scheme is really the driver, the National Garden Gift Card. Excellent. So um, there, are, there are other events that the association uh, organizes, the National Plant Show, which is primarily mm. a trade show, um, and that grows every year, and that, that's held in, in June. 
um, an annual conference for the members. Uh, looking forward this year, we, for instance, we're trying to predict what the garden industry will look like in 2030. Not an easy matter, particularly with the background of what was going on in and still is going on in politics in the country. Mm. Um, and then there are other smaller events, like there's a, a, a one-day conference for growers called Contact and the Association of Professional Landscape Awards. So the, the HTA's meeting and networking with the Garden Industry Manufacturers Association, the Growing Media Association, NFU, Royal Horticultural Society, Garden Centre Association, and many, many others. It aims to be the one voice of ornamental environmental horticulture. Okay. Well, that's a pretty detailed <laughs> description of what you guys get up to. I mean, thank you very much. It's mm. brilliant. And what can I take a step back, Alan, and ask, you know, what mm. was your, the first thing that got you into gardening? Can you remember all those years ago? Was it growing some cress yeah. or was it what got you in, no, in, interested? No, in it? no, no, no. I mean, my family on both my mother's and father's side have been uh, dairy farmers or cheese makers for generations. And I um, got into gardening um, by being interested in wildflowers. Uh, they okay. tell me that at the age of four, I went missing. And they, uh, we, my father had a, at that time, a rented farm, a small rented farm, a startup farm that Somerset County Council provided uh, to get people on the bottom rung of the ladder. So relatively small. And there were six of these farms. And so everybody dropped everything and looking they, they went searching for me at four years old because i'd gone awol um and i was found in the middle of a 13 acre of wildflowers quite happily sat there picking flowers so i think that's how I <laughs> enjoying the nice but, environment that's brilliant that's yeah cool. but i but i also should point out i have four brothers right. and four uh, five into a small farm doesn't work so um, I was very happy to uh, uh, get into horticulture um, uh, rather than look at the backside of a cow all my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Alan, on, on the basis of that, so you moved on from, uh, from, from wildflowers to, to going to college. How, how did that sort of fit in with your, your interests at that, that point? Well, well, uh, yeah, yes, uh, but first of all, perhaps I should point out I went to a, uh, a boarding school called Brymore School near mm -hmm. uh, Cannington, actually in the village of Cannington, which you'll probably rec recognise as a, a, a college. I'll mm -hmm. come to that in a minute. Cannington's in, uh, College is also in the same village, and Brymore School taught agriculture, but also had a, had a horticulture department. So uh, that fed my interest of, of the horticulture. But then I, so then I went on to uh, have a couple of years of practical experience before going to Cannington College on their commercial horticultural course. Nice. Um, and subsequently, well, the next year, I then went to Pershaw College of Horticulture to, to join the intermediate course, or it was shortened to, um, and you can imagine, student intercourse. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, which was pre preparation for the intermediate course of the Master of Horticulture, or in those days it was called National Diploma of Horticulture, mm. which was run by the Royal Horticultural Society oh. and uh, Minister of Agricultural Fishes and Food. How did you find your, your college years? Were they enlightening or was it...? 
I thoroughly enjoyed them. I um, I enjoyed every moment. I, I suppose I was a bit of a sponge. I was so enthusiastic about uh, uh, horticulture and mm-hmm. everything that it, it, it involved. Um, and I must say that I have, I could look, thinking back, I, I, I have to thank um, a couple of Stuarts, uh, uh, Stuart Brookfield, who was head of horticulture at Kensington College, but also Stuart Chambers, who... Uh, did the science uh, uh, part of the of the course, and Stuart Chambers also did the day release uh, tuition, uh, and I took that at Western Supermare while still working um, at local nurseries. And 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 Stuart was brilliant, and just uh, yeah, uh, just encouraged that germ of of uh, uh, of interest that I had. Yeah, I think you sometimes need those sort of. Uh curators in your life don't you those people who just give you that little bit of a uh, push and, and, it, and it just helps so, so much so from those college years what about those sort of early years in working in horticulture where did that t- sort of take you alan well well i'm uh in the west country uh near bristol i'm, mm-hmm. I'm originally um uh, i'm actually from south somerset and where i live now but i uh most of my working life and, and the business I had was in North Somerset. So I worked uh, at uh, three or four, four businesses there, I suppose, two of them part-time. So half the week I'd spend at a very traditional uh, uh, nursery that grew uh, tomatoes in um, uh, ring culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the tomato crop was finished, they would be taken out and uh uh, we would then bring in 10-inch heavy clay flower pots, which had a part-grown crop of uh, bloom chrysanthemums in them. Uh, they were desperately heavy. <laughs> but the rest of the week, uh, I was at a, a high-tech modern uh, all-year-round chrysanthemum nurseries where day length was controlled. We were using uh, growth hormones and a very tight schedule of production, both of uh, spray chrysanthemums and pot mums. But um, uh, then I felt that I needed to get more experience. In fact, was encouraged to get more experience by the, those uh, employees, employers. Um, so I worked in the tomato nursery where we also grew pot plants and bedding plants. And at the weekends, I walk, worked in a local garden centre. Wow. So quite a varied space, <laughs> which stood me in good stead for the uh, Master of Horticulture qualification yeah i'm gonna say a mixture of commercial horticulture and uh, amenity and a bit of garden center retail my mm. word that helps the good old uh, cv doesn't it certainly yeah yeah so then then after getting i i, I stayed on at Herschel college of horticulture after finishing the course there and getting my intermediate uh, master of hort uh, i then took the finals as a, a member of the staff at Herschel college um and that, in completing that, I then decided I needed to get some experience abroad. So I moved to uh, living north of Hamburg in North Germany, which at the time was arguably the most intensive area for hardy nursery stock, tree production, seedling production, but also container plant production. And I worked for a nursery in Schleswig-Holstein. Mm-hmm. And because at Pershaw you were you were doing grafting and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I I, I supported the fruit lecturer and taught uh, practical skills of, as you say, grafting and budding and pruning and and all the practical things that go with uh, cultivating top and soft fruit. 
Okay. But at the same time, getting paid, um, I, I was studying at the same time, and also getting paid to do the same. But having having access to the knowledge of all the lecturers and the library was was uh, was uh, uh, incredibly useful. Yeah, because I can remember the library at Pershore. It is a lovely old room and very yeah. full of really useful books as well, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Alan, I believe you went to work for Hilliers. Is how does that sort of form on your timeline? Does that sort of happen sort of after you've done your uh, sort of your, your qualif- end of your qualifications? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that was that was actually after I'd been working in in Germany, and oh, right. um, I remember that I had I had in fact written uh, a letter to Harold Hillier. Uh, later to be Sir Harold Hillier, to inquire if they had any openings before I went to Germany. And and indeed they had. They were quite keen for me to join them. But I decided that uh, I would go abroad and Mm -hmm. and gain experience and pick up a bit of language because I tended to look out the window when we were doing languages at school and didn't really take much notice. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to Germany only knowing how to order Ein Bier, bitte. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, very, very important. Um, and um, so, uh, yeah, so Robert Hillier um, and uh, Brian Humphrey, then the production director, uh, came to see me and they were looking at other nurseries there and they interviewed me in Germany and persuaded me to come back and start, uh, well, really to to, 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 be, to continue building up what was then just a very small fledgling container production unit uh, at Hilliers. Um, when I joined, I think we had one or two sand beds. We used um, capillary sand beds. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I left, it was about 25 acres of container plants. So oh, dramatic wow. uh, uh, growth during the period that I was, uh, I was a container enterprise manager was <laughs> my full title. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so that was a great experience. Working at Hilliers, because of course the plant range there at the time was was unequalled. It was the the, the biggest uh, in the northern hemisphere by far, and mm. I seem to recall growing oh, at least three thousand species and varieties uh, in in department that I looked after alone. But I also was responsible for raising plants from seed, uh, both um, in in frames and glass houses, but predominantly uh, seed uh, seed production in uh, on field scale, which was fascinating because a great contrast to growing container ground plants. Gosh, and I suppose that takes. I mean, in a way, it's you learn sort of new 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 um, new experiences. I suppose looking at the different types of seeds and how they respond, what sort of conditions Ab- they need to to germinate. Absolutely, and yeah, absolutely. A lot of the information we gleaned. Um, and <laughs> that's a bit of a pun, isn't it? Gleaning seeds, yeah. Um, uh, we, we, we got was from America. A lot of the information came from there, but also from Germany. Um, and that was uh, the time when the International Plant Propagator Society was really getting going and sharing of knowledge between propagators um, was, was commonplace, mm-hmm. whereas if you went back 10, 15 years before, perhaps 20 years before, those the knowledge of how to propagate the plant was held very closely to the chest of the propagator, and, and it wasn't shared. Mm-hmm. So there was a big yeah. change at that time. Big cultural um, change. So I was quite active in 
the International Plant Propagator Society then. And did that allow you to learn lots of new techniques for sort of budding and grafting and uh, sowing seeds and that sort of thing? Well, I, uh, well not, not particularly. I, I mean, I, 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 I got those skills already, but the seed uh, uh, production of trees and uh, stratification um, uh, was something that um, uh, varied from uh, uh, from species to species or genus to genus, uh, the use of acid, for instance, for breaking down the seed coat. Uh, stratification was, of course, is, is of course mimicking uh, seasons. So, uh, uh, kidding the seeds that it's had a winter by putting it in a fridge and then back out in the heat and then back in the fridge again. And that way, the seed would think, "Oh gosh, I've had two winters. I'll now all my seeds will germinate." Mm-hmm. So. It's playing around with uh, uh, creating the conditions that are ideal to um, get a good germination of seeds that would very often uh, otherwise come up over a whole number of years, quite a few years. Um, What we wanted was a a maximum germination in one year. Mm, And thinking back to those those hilliers years, is there any sort of of tips you could share with our listeners on... On, on plants, maybe for, the, the, the plants grow. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, there are some, but I think I'm. I think I'm. I, I, in the in the way that I, I um, credited the lecturers that I had, I, mm-hmm. I I must say that I have a great uh, thanks to say to Sir Harold, Harold Hillier, who was uh, probably the uh, finest plantsman alive at his time, and of course to the one who is alive now, but Roy Lancaster. Roy Lancaster is a close friend who mm-hmm. we used to go out with taking the students, because we had a student program at Hillier, mm-hmm. um, taking them out uh, to visit nurseries or to go on a fungi foray or go and look at trees in, in, in the new forest. Um, so, you know, that was wonderful to, 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 to be with them. But in terms of tips to share with the listeners, I think in ter- if you've got plants in pots, don't leave potting on too late because once the plant stops, it's quite hard to get them growing again. Mm-hmm. Um, so never, ever be afraid to look at the roots, knock it out of the pot, have a look. Mm-hmm. Use a well-structured compost that's got plenty of air in it but also holds water well. And drainage, good drainage is vital. So those things make all the difference to growing plants in containers. Thank you. That's, that's really useful. And obviously, with the new peat-free sort of movement yeah. now within within the industry, have you got any tips on which compost you found have worked well that are peat-free? Well, uh, we are the industry is presented with a huge challenge, um, mm. and uh, you might argue that perhaps it's been slow to move forward on it. Um, but the reason it's been slow to move forward is that there isn't uh, sufficient volume of good quality alternative to peat, uh, readily available. And, and so as a consequence, um, we are all learning as we go along, both the compost manufacturers and the uh, those using the compost, whether they're growers or amateur growers. But uh, I've had greatest success with Melcourt's uh, okay. uh, silver yeah. grow compost. Yeah, yeah, it's a very um, popular one. i found quite consistent. I've also had good success with the New Horizon compost, but... Um, One thing I think I should say is that uh, many of these composts reliant on green waste can break down quite rapidly. So it depends a lot on what you're growing. If you're growing a short-term 
crop in it, a plant in it that uh, matures quickly, like a bedding plant or maybe salad vegetables that's going to be planted out, then perhaps the uh, fact that the compost uh, breaks down uh, quickly is not important. But if you're putting a, a maple tree in a pot that's going to be in that pot for years, then it's very, very important. So I would go for a coarser compost for the perennial plants, the woody plants that are going to be in containers for a long time. But um, the the other thing I think to be aware of is that uh, fresh compost is far better than something that didn't sell last year and still on the shelves from the previous year. Shelf life, I think, of the uh, peat-free alternatives is something that we are finding um, is not nearly as good as peat-based compost. So just a word of caution there. That's interesting because the other thing that we found is so the water retention on a lot of the new compost yeah. isn't quite there yet, and adding no, no. sort of water retain, uh, retaining gels and that sort of thing does help a little bit to improve them. But yeah, it, it's certainly a big new frontier, isn't it, at the moment? It is. It is. It is, and we'll get there. But mm. it, it, we're all going to have to adapt what we do. We we can't expect to continue watering in the same way we did with peat compost. Uh, in the same way that we didn't do that when we moved from John Innes compost to mm. peat based compost. Yeah. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm old enough to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so am I. <laughs> Scarily. Yeah. <laughs> Alan, you, you're obviously from your heavier days. I, I, what sort of happened is, I, I believe you, you did a bit more travelling around. Was that, is that true? Uh, yes, I did. Um, I've always been a bit of a traveller, and I think it probably. Um, comes back to uh, uh, enough, having a Nuffield Farming Scholarship uh, Travel Award uh, back in 1980 when I was fortunate enough um, to get a, a, a travel award to spend eight, nine weeks in USA and Canada looking at the production and marketing of container-grown uh, hardy nursery stock uh, over there. And um, I visited 23 states and uh, and I've been to a lot more since so I think uh, I I certainly would have visited uh, more states than many Americans Um, and I think it's a wonderful wonderful place to visit so that kind of got me uh, into traveling and since then my wife Felicity and I have uh, visited uh, most of the countries as well as Sahara Sahara in uh, Africa we're great Africa lovers um, but also India. We love India too. Um, we had a great trip to the Himalayas, the, uh, the Kingdom of Sikkim, which is managed by India, but it's a separate kingdom. It's a wonderful, uh, magical con- country um, where we trekked in in the in the foothills of uh, Kanchenjunga. Um, actually, getting up to about seventeen thousand feet, so not wow. a mean feat. Yeah. Um, we've been to. Costa Rica, the Pantanal in Brazil, very exciting place for animals. We're, we're into animals as well as uh, plants. And uh, one more recent trip was to um, the um, Inside Passage of Alaska to look at whales and orca and uh, bears, uh, which is a brilliant trip too. So, yeah, we're, we're great travellers. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like you've been to a few places. <laughs> That's pretty yeah, yeah, we've been lucky. And are there any groups of plants that you particularly like, Alan? 
Yes, um, I, um, I've been a great fan of hellebores and uh, did quite a lot of breeding and selection uh, uh, before moving from our garden centre, Cleve Nursery and Garden Centre near Bristol. Uh, I had a huge collection, well over 100 different distinct uh, uh, looking uh, hellebores uh, hybridous uh, types. Okay. Uh, I concentrated on those rather than the Niger types. Um, and um, so those have been a, a, an interest, and I've brought some uh, 40 or 50 of those to the garden here, um, but nothing like the big range I had, uh, which we were breeding and growing to sell um, at Cleve Nursery. Uh, but the other interesting uh, groups are, I like hardy ferns. I think they're such underrated plants. They're so easy to grow and pest and disease-free. Um, and ornamental grasses. But um, it doesn't stop there. You know, I'm a plant person. I'm a plant <laughs> Indeed. That's... Um... Alan, you just alluded there to your to your nursery at Cleve Nurseries. Can you tell us a little bit about how yeah. that how that sort of started? What was the the germ of, of getting involved in in retail? Very very much. Well, I think I think yeah. I mean, I think it was uh, having done the, the Nuffield uh, uh, scholarship um, and and seeing nurserymen in uh, uh, in USA in particular mm-hmm. that knew precious little about what. So, you know about nursery production and we're making success of it and I came back and I thought well um, I'm sure if they can do it I can do it mm-hmm. um, and so um, I decided to leave what was a very senior position at Hilliers and with a good future um, and and um, go out on, on, on my own or with my wife um, great supporter uh, she's been and we've worked together uh, uh, we found a, a a rundown nursery, which ironically I'd worked at uh, many, many years before, briefly. Um, and um, uh, the nursery had a, just a, a great position on a busy road. And, and, and if you're going to have a retail uh, nursery or garden centre, position is everything, and this had it. Um, and uh, so we, 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 we negotiated initially as, as, uh, to go in as the active partner with the uh, a sleeping partner um, uh, behind, and in the end, we said, "No, look, we'll take the lot. Uh, we'll take this on." Um, and our savings, unfortunately, uh, were small, and they all went into saving what turned out to be a lovely cottage on site, which is nearly 400 years old. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a wreck. Um, we just went back to just the walls and had to build again. So all our funds went into that rather than into the garden centre. But at that time, garden centres were were growing so rapidly. The demand was huge um, that we doubled turnover rapidly. And our biggest problem was to keep stock on the shelves. So um, we were very lucky in that in, in, in that sense. So we uh, kind of hit the ground running. We had a tiger by the tail. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was back in 1983. Roy Lancaster came and uh, planted the couple of trees to 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 officially open the the revamped uh what then was rather re, rather than a retail nursery became a, a garden center but we continued to trade as cleave nursery and then um i guess what would it be about 2000 the year 2000 we bought a, a small holding uh, opposite where we went back into growing plants so that uh, we were almost well i think about 60% of the plants we grew 
sorry, 60% of the plants we sold were homegrown. Um, so we grew a, a, a diverse range, particularly of herbaceous plants, hardy ferns, hellebores, um, <laughs> yeah. and shrubs, but also specimen plants as well. Uh, on, a, on the small holding site we have nearby and fed the garden centre from that. Excellent, because a lot of, sort of nurseries specialise just in very singular you know, sort of varieties of plants, whereas it sounds like you mm. were able to grow all sorts, but then with your background, I suppose that was one of the benefits of all your skills that you picked up along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And also we, we, we knew what we could sell. Um, and, um, you know, get a busy weekend on the garden center and you know, it's Saturday you've sold a block of something that looked really good, you know, lots of flour on it. Well, Saturday evening I was going to get more. And so Sunday morning, everything was restocked. So, um, that was, a, that was a, a massive benefit that not everyone has. Yeah, because if you've got your own stock to pull from, there's some massive benefits, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. We, we had yeah. to wait a yeah. week uh, yeah. unless it was a pansy or something we'd grown ourselves here. But that's, yeah, yeah. So, Alan, we met back, I think it was back in 1997 at the uh, the National Amateur Gardening Show, didn't we? Um, at the Royal Bath and West Showground. And I think it was that, that particular show, you had a, a wonderful garden you created for uh, for that show. Those shows were great fun, weren't they? They were they were great fun, and they were very well run. It's just a shame that um, they don't run them again. I had a, a lunch meeting with the new chief exec of the Royal Bath and West Showground mm-hmm. only last week, and uh, we were talking about that and talking about possibly getting something going again. Mm. But um, we shall see. That was the September show, and mm. September has become a crowded time for for garden shows. Um, we were also in very much involved with Bristol Flower Show, which mm. the Royal Bath and West Show Society took on too, both mm. of which, sadly, you know, both National Amateur Gardening Show and Bristol Flower Show failed after quite a short time. So, mm. yeah, and I'm trying to think what, what, what exhibit we might have put on there. Did we have a... Uh, did we have uh, was it with the edible bus stop group with a um, taxi uh, uh, on the garden? Do you remember? Yes, I think it was actually. Yes, and it was it was yeah. something very innovative, and it was getting an awful lot of a yeah. lot of interest, if I remember rightly. Because I know I, I came and had a, a chat with you, and, and I think it was probably Felicity as well to, to talk through what yeah. you were doing, because we were obviously we were reporting on the the show for the for the magazine uh, at the time. Um, but it was just such a good uh-huh. thing. Do you, do you think, though, you know, September for a gardening show, in view of the changes in our climate now, do you think September planting is something we we need to be concentrating on as gardeners? Oh yes, definitely. And in fact, I've been uh, tweeting about it this week. I've, I've, I'm I'm a, uh, I, I blog a lot, and I've um, I, I've been promoting autumn planting. Um, and I think we should mm. we should continue to, to promote that because you know the reasons are good. They there's the soil is warm. There's a good range of plants available. You plant them now. The winter rains look after them. They've got some roots already established. Come spring, and they aren't trying to put leaves and flowers out without being fully established. So you get better results. But they need to be hardy plants. Yeah. Uh, they they need to be hardy plants, uh, not tender plants, and they need to be plants that perhaps 
you avoid the Mediterranean style group of plants. So those with woolly leaves, grey leaves, hairy leaves, uh, they don't like the winter wet, so they're best planted in the spring. Yeah, for sure. I think I think that message is is easier said than done getting across to, to customers, especially new gardeners who at the end of the day are mm. are tempted by impulse buying, aren't they? I think that's the, the, the issue I think mm. garden centres have these days. Mm. But uh, but no, I remember in the early eighties the HTA, you know, nature's natural time for planting was the, the slogan. Yeah. I can remember it now and uh, perhaps as you yeah. say, we need yeah. to, to revisit that uh, over the next few few yeah. years. But going I was just thinking about that National Amateur Garden show, Chris, I think that was with the edible bus stop group. Mm. Uh, people are probably wondering what the edible bus stop group is. Well, the edible bus stop group is is a uh, were, were originally guerrilla gardeners who became a bit more official, I suppose. Mm-hmm. They produced uh, Boris's first um, uh, pocket park. Uh, they've been involved with the um, uh, the Olympic site uh, mm-hmm. in planting trees there recently. They they are kind of off the wall group uh, in London. Um, and they call themselves the Edible Bus Stop Group because they, they the, the first big project they did was to try and use waste space around a bus route in, in London, South London, mm-hmm. and use that waste space to grow food uh, and, and, and flowers, but particularly food, uh, that, with the community, the community growing it. And yeah. they found, um, and we supported them uh, through, through all their projects, um, they found that this was a particularly valuable cement for society. It brought people together of all different backgrounds, ages, and ethnicity. Um, and I still believe that is a, a, a very, very that horticulture has a very strong role to play in bringing communities together. And, and that's why we get involved with the Edible Bus Stop Group. I'm, I'm their horticultural advisor. And when they ring, I think, oh my God, what what crackpot idea we got to pull together this time? <laughs> yeah, very challenging, but it's great, yep. great fun. Excellent. And uh, are they the, anything to do with the fact that there's a lot of bus stops now where the roofs are being converted into sort of green spaces? Is that anything uh, to do with not, them? Not, not, not them directly. No, but it's very encouraging to see that, isn't it? And yeah. you know, for, for insects in particular, yeah. No, no, no. They they haven't particularly gotten. There are lots of different um, guerrilla gardeners. Um, this is the particular group that um, we've done most with, and they're quite predominantly London based. Mm-hmm. Which you know might mm-hmm. think, well, our, our garden centre and nursery was around Bristol. Why did we do that? Well, because mm-hmm. we believed in it really, and we we. We believe in, you know, we, we, we helped get uh, Chelsea Fringe going in Bristol. And, you know, okay. Getting that message across, mm. getting a conversation across, I think it's very, very important. Mm. Most definitely. Leads on to my next question about um, writing and broadcasting on the radio. How, how did you get into that? Uh, well, um, we take the take the radio first, I, I think. Um, uh, right from the word go, 19... 19- 83 was when we moved from Hilliers to the Bristol area. I can't remember exactly. I think that, oh, I know, we used to listen to Radio West, which was running then, and um, we yeah. felt that some of the presenters who were on the radio um, as, as gardening experts were very slow, very ponderous, and not particularly right. amusing, terribly serious. And the presenter felt the same thing and said, well, you know, why don't you come on? Let's, let's, you know, let's see if we can make it 
a bit more fun and, and, and uh, hook listeners in more. So we started with Radio West and then uh, Radio GWR and, uh, and, I, and, and then Radio Bristol. And I still do a monthly slot on Radio Bristol. Uh, I was on this last Sunday in, in, in the morning. But once you get on those, you get your name out there and they have your telephone number. They tend to ring you up for a comment on, you know, daffodils are flowering early this year, Alan, <laughs> aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on the writing side, well, um, I, uh, I guess I, uh, that was uh, on the back of, of having a, a TV series because it's initially what we uh, presented uh on, on the TV program was ghost written for us for the local newspaper and I and I and I would uh, have to review it and in the end I thought well you know it's better than I write it so I started writing for uh, the Western Daily Press and Evening Post in Bristol and then that went on for 17 years or so mm-hmm. and was networked across six titles in the southwest so I became the the, the the regular writer that uh, was in the local major newspapers of, of the southwest. Wow, that's good. And that has ended now because of COVID. Because well, pe- newspaper sales have been declining for some time, so they're looking always constantly looking to uh, reduce budget, so to to, mm. to cut costs. And so at the beginning of COVID, all freelance writers were let go. Mm. But I used to write a double page spread every Saturday for those six titles. Gosh. And, uh, and and at the same time, I thought, well, there's an opportunity here to give it more life rather than that newspaper becoming fish and chip paper. I, so uh, those the articles I wrote, I started making into blogs. So on website, uh, play on my name, Down to Earth, uh, with, with dashes between down and, and to, earth.co.uk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there's, um, there's, we... We, I've got something like a couple hundred blogs on there, okay. or gardening blogs, or travel. Brilliant. And and um, so that that's the writing side of things. But I have continued with writing, and I think you're going to ask me about Candy, the gardening app. Indeed, mm. yes. Um, um, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. so the gardening app is uh, the gardening app. Candy is. Um, uh, something I've worked uh, a, a lot on I until um, 18 months ago or maybe a year ago. Uh, I was the principal writer of content for the app and also I supplied them with a lot of Im- images. And uh, so I write there as uh, Alan Gardenmaster. Um, and um, uh, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was good to keep my hand in and continue writing and also be involved with what is a less experienced garden uh, gardener and uh, also a much younger audience. Yeah. Mm. But I have to say it's, it's disappointing that the, the Candide app has slightly lost its way. It's, it's, not as, uh, it's not being populated and funded in the way that it was when I, I was writing for them. We had a staff of uh, 70. So a massive yes. investment, wow. and you couldn't, you know, keep that going forever. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's the Candied Gardening app, and I, and I presented quite a lot of um, videos for them as well. 
So it sounds yeah. like you've really evolved with the times and you know, gone from sort of a pen and paper <laughs> through to keyboard and now telephone. That's brilliant, isn't it? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you find the yeah. new technologies easier to work with or harder to work with? I mean, no, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say easier. It's a challenge, and I like a challenge. Um, I um, I think uh, yesterday I was cursing. <laughs> cursing my IT system here for various things um, and it seems to be a fairly regular thing and I do find it frustrating uh, in that I don't have somebody to readily call on and say look this is the problem can you tell me what to do about it but good old YouTube helps you out doesn't it it's brilliant isn't it yes <laughs> someone else has had the problem it fixes all sorts yeah. of problems YouTube definitely <laughs> it does yeah 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 um, so- yeah I was going to say, Alan, you, obviously you, you are out there when it comes to social media, Instagram and such like, um, and you also love photography. I mean, that to me is a, a you know, a marriage made in heaven. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what, what you enjoyed, you know, what's your, your greatest sort of claim to fame within the the Instagram and uh, for sort of photographic Oh, my world? goodness. Oh, no, I, I think probably Instagram, I'm, 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 uh, I, I wouldn't claim to be... Uh, <laughs> famous even i don't have that that many followers but i do enjoy doing it i mm. I, I i i i'm not sure i fully understand how how to use the system as well i'm on i'm on there as as uh at alan e down um and uh i i i do find it um uh, interesting to follow other people and see what they put on there Mm-hmm. Um, the the social media platform I have uh, greater success with it, and I'm also on there as at Alan E Down um, is is Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm, I can understand that more and, and work that more, and LinkedIn as well. Yeah, okay. But uh, Twitter's the one I tend to go for first and foremost. I I, I don't use Facebook much. Um, I I. Uh, I find Facebook, I tend to use Facebook for uh, close friends and family, um, but I also find it irritating in, in that it's suggesting things I might be interested in and, and, and I'm not in the slightest bit interested in those things. <laughs> well, all to do with algorithms, isn't it? Terrible thing. Terrible oh, absolutely. Thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, that, and the love of photography, Chris, you mm. said. Um, mm. uh, yeah, I've, I've always been um, interested in photography and, and have a big library of, of, of images of plants in particular. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, I, but that wildlife too, I'm, I'm still a, a very much an amateur. But um, yeah, I do love capturing a moment, you know, that particular uh, plant in that light, you know, the best light, evening mm. or morning or clouded rather than bright light. And um, and video as well. I'm I'm trying to learn more about uh, you know, good videography, uh, but uh, that requires a little bit more time and certainly a bit more effort on my part. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, can we just go back to some more of the you know the pressing issues of the gardening industry at the moment? I mean, sustainability, obviously sustainability, the obviously the cost of living yeah. crisis at the moment, and I'm sure um, these are pressing for many of our listeners. Uh, on the, the peat free side, I know we've we've sort of touched on it a little bit earlier, but um, how do you think? What are your thoughts at the moment on uh, this new, you know, this new era of, of of growing plants? I mean, with climate change and and the compost we've got available to to use. 
Mm, well, that's a massive question, isn't it? Um, I, th- I, you know, I think that um, we are where we are. We need to uh, uh, adapt. We mm-hmm. need we we need to think about sustainability and the impact we have on uh, the world. But we, the horticultural industry, is in a good place really to help with that. Plants are are, are great at cleaning up the air. Um, you know, obviously there's a, a desire to plant more trees. Uh, I'm concerned that we, it's not necessarily joined up. It's all very well, the government saying that we need to plant X million. Um, we need to have uh, the, the capability to grow X million plants, uh, young trees to, to plant out. But also we need to look after them after they're planted. I'm concerned, always concerned about the type of tree that's, that's planted. It needs to be appropriate for... Uh, the situation, preferably, uh, well, definitely native and, and preferably have seed that's collected locally rather than uh, Scots pine seed that comes in from, say, southern Germany or, or some other part of the world. Mm. So that, that that's important. Yeah, sustainability is something that you know the Horticultural Trace Association is looking at closely and supporting its members in terms of uh, uh, doing the right thing, using uh, the, the right products helping to develop the right products uh, dealing with waste effectively so yeah that's one of our big roles in fact at the moment there are big challenges ahead there are indeed yes um yeah i mean one thing uh but we were very lucky to uh be serving a customer in our garden center one day and this lady so just stood back and she she paid and she said um you always thought about doing tv <laughs> we, Lucy and I, really fell about laughing at that stage, and she was quite serious. And that's how we got into having our own TV gardening series filmed every week in our garden. Oh, TV, okay. Which, which we did for six years. And uh, <laughs> I just say, it, it, she said, "Yeah, yeah, no, husband and wife team would be would be good, especially if you argued on screen <laughs> that the ratings would go up." <laughs> so we drew the line at that. <laughs> but we did we we did film nearly 150 30 minute program Gosh. from our own garden. So we ran over six years. They thought they would run it for uh, I think it was a 10 week series initially. Yeah, it was. <laughs> 10-week series um, in the spring, and it was obviously going well, and they extended it uh, with a break in the summer to to 13 weeks um, by doing some in the autumn. And okay. um, and then they, 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 I think all the, 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 the cameramen and the, the film, uh, the, the, the team, the production team thought, well, you know, that's it, we'll do something else oh. next year. But there was such a demand and it was so popular they said well you know will you do another year and and on it went for six years and it was very much about garden it was called garden calendar and it was filmed for uh, harlick television and was networked by meridian some on the discovery channel anglia as well picked it up and it was a daytime program but it was very much about what to do in your garden that week and why and why is often not explained but you, if you understand why something's done in a way, then you're more likely to remember to do it that way yeah. in the future and, and, and have a deeper understanding of what, what goes on and what makes plants grow and perform well. Excellent. So, it, it, yeah, it was great fun to do it. So I guess that's why, why you look so polished on the HTA presentations that I watch every <laughs> week or two. That's where you learn your polished. skills as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's... 
that's not that's not how I see it. I I think I've I've I'm very rusty. Um, I've got <laughs> to do one all. of those uh, today, and I think every week they give me more and more complicated things to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this week is particularly complicated. <laughs> so, <laughs> wish me luck. Yeah. yeah, so that's a blog I do once a week for uh, a weekly update for the Horticultural Trades Association members. Mm. Yeah, it's yes. really good. Yeah, well, we, it pops into the, uh, the the inbox. I think yes, we're going to we're going to be informed and, and hopefully, yeah, it's always it's always a good good uh, watch and listen, Alan. So uh, good luck with your next one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good. I'm glad someone's looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> we when we were doing a little bit of research on you, Alan, like we like we do, we did seem something. We did come across something which did seem a little bit off topic. However, knowing our customers yeah. at the garden centre here at Buckingham, who know we have or have issues with monk jack deer, uh, this might be interesting. Yeah. And, and we read that you you didn't you studied a little bit about deer management, which seems a little bit bit odd, but I'm sure it probably wasn't at the time for you, for your good self. Uh, no, I've always been um, I've always been a, a practitioner in in, in uh, country sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the countryside and I love the things that are in it. And I think that deer, in particular, are particularly beautiful uh, animals. Um, uh, I wouldn't say that necessarily about the munchak. I was going to say think. even the munchak <laughs> is a sort of short, <laughs> fat little uh... it's a bit of an ugly beast. But when you, when you see it. Um, in India, in uh, Sam in particular, it, it, it seems appropriate there. But here it's, it is an introduced deer that, that escaped mm-hmm. uh, many years ago and has proved to be highly successful and mm. quite damaging, yes. particularly in gardens. They live in your garden. But, uh, um, but also a real concern is it destroying the understory of, uh, of woodland and browsing on regenerated trees so that... Uh, you know, we aren't getting natural regeneration in the way, but the knock-on effect of, of, of them browsing, feeding on the understory is, is wide in that in, in so many insects and butterflies and, you know, beasties uh, rely on the cover of that uh, understory and flowers, of course, and plants themselves. So I got into deer management for various reasons. I, 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 I used to be a shotgun shooter, um, reducing numbers of pigeons that were eating corn crops. I, I grew up on the farm, so it's not really surprising that I, you know, I shoot. Uh, I, I, I shoot less that that sort of thing now, but everything I shoot, I consume. I, I, you know, if I don't consume it, then there are friends who consume it. So it's harvested mm. wild meat uh, that that um, that is isn't wasted so i yeah i studied deer management i was trained under the british deer society so i'm a fully qualified uh, deer manager and i manage deer not far from here in in west somerset at the moment and the reason prime reason i manage them there is that uh, and this is this is not very pleasant they're roe deer uh, which i think are the most beautiful of all our, our native deer um, and uh, what does a, a young deer do if it's under threat? It lies still in the grass. And this, these farms that I, I uh, uh, control and reduce the deer numbers on um, are used for growing grass, uh, five cups of silage every year, and those deer will go through the machinery. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a, you know everyone hates it when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to reduce the numbers down from that point of view, harvesting, a renewable, healthy 
uh, meet uh, at the same time. So that, <laughs> there we are. So that's 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 my uh, other interest when I'm not gardening is is actually uh, deer hunting and and, and management. Mm. So, so for those customers at the garden centre here who have issues with with muntjac, any any sort of yeah. tips on deterring them from from your garden? What 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 sort of advice could you give us? Well, the 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 the, the, the best thing is is if it's practical, um, is to fence them out. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, I'm sorry, but it's not a pretty thing, but it does do the job. We yeah. fence them out of our garden here. We fence them out of the garden centre when we're at Bristol, mm-hmm. uh, and it is effective. Provided you close the gate, of course, because <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that many times the gate's left open and they just walk in. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, or you don't maintain it and, yeah. the, and the fence gets a hole in. And then, they, I mean, here yeah. at the garden centre, it's bunny rabbits as well that mm. we have quite a few of hopping oh, around yeah. the field. And again, if you put a good old fence around whatever you're trying to protect, it does work. And yeah. as long as you mm. <laughs> shut the gate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Alan, um, we usually at this point in the the podcast we like to put our uh, our guests on the spot, and we've shipwrecked you on a, a desert island. Um, this might be a difficult one for you, but which plant would you wish that you could plant and enjoy on your uh, your uh, your desert island? Mm, that is so difficult. Um, <laughs> you say desert island, you haven't specified which um okay. part of the world it would be if it's tropical or if it's temperate and that would obviously influence it if it's temperate i'd probably go for an apple tree okay. um mm-hmm. good choice they, 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 they store well i enjoy eating apples you can make juice from them the wood the prunings will probably be quite useful for lighting a fire mm-hmm. yeah i think probably an apple if i if i was in the tropics whoa gosh there's so many choices I think, I think it would have to be a citrus of some sort. Mm. I think it would probably have to be, uh, maybe a, 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 a lemon or a lime, because mm. um, mm. I probably need some vitamin C. I, mm. I, I think I'd go for a citrus there. Mm. Yeah, great choice. But that is so difficult. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And if it's a nice warm country growing lemons, you can always chop them up and put them in your cocktails. That's always a good tre- treat, isn't it? They, you could, you could. And assuming I've got it, I've got a, a line and a hook. Um, mm. I can, uh, I, I can put the uh, the, the lime or, or Ooh, lemon juice ceviche. on the fish I catch. Yeah, make a nice ceviche. That's <laughs> a lovely choice, isn't it? Brilliant. Yes. Mm. Okay, and and Alan, we we usually like to end our podcast with a. A gardening-related joke or a funny tale. Um, is there anything you could you could share with us on on that score at all? There's quite a few I can't, <laughs> <laughs> but well, oh, but what I can I can recall from years ago, um, mm. going back to the days with uh, a lovely uh, DJ called uh, Trevor Fry on uh, Radio GWR. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to do a, a, a Sunday morning phone in people ringing questions i think you probably do them as well um, and and uh, you never quite know what the next question is going to be and and, 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 a, and a chap came on and, and and asked the question he said um I, do you know if it's safe uh to uh drink wine made from portugal laurel berries and 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 i so i was trying to answer the question and i thought well you know best thing is to be to be safe rather than sorry. I said, well, I, I think it's unlikely, but I, I'm not absolutely certain. Could you perhaps 
because this is quite important, could you perhaps tune in next week when I'll have a definite answer for you? I'll look at the the, the list produced by the RHS, the the, the HTA and um, Guy's Hospital. But there was a there was a, a list at the time, mm-hmm. and and he said, "No, I I want an answer now." And and and, <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know, I'm not absolutely certain." Um, I'd like to be 100% certain, and um, could you not this next week, and when I have a definite answer for you? Um, and he was absolutely insistent, and the uh, presenter, Trevor, stepped in, and he said, um, um, why is it so urgent that you know now? And he said, well, I, uh, I gave some to the wife, and I wanted to know if safe. Oh, why? Excellent. Yeah, I don't know to this day whether she survived or not, but it's definitely not something I would want to drink, and I don't think it is safe. No, it isn't. (laughs) Probably not. Not pretty as as prudence. That's the cyanide family, isn't it? The leaves are certainly. Yeah, 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 but that. But but that's in the stone, ah. not in the fruit. Ah, right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, excellent. Oh, that's, that's well. I'll say a, a very dramatic way to end our, our podcast today with 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 you. With you. Um, for, next question. I must ask Alan. Um, how do our listeners find out more about your work? I know you've given them a little bit of a mention through the through the podcast, but could you just uh, let us know again? Yeah, sure. Um, the uh, blog and our website is uh, is called down dash to that's a, a to uh, dash earth.co.uk mm-hmm. and that's where you'll find my blog um and i'm on uh twitter at alan e down and instagram at alan e down um and linkedin i think i'm on there as well that's as well i keep it simple <laughs> yeah. Oh, and 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 of course, Candide is uh, 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 at Alan Gardenmaster. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show today, Alan. It's been really interesting chatting to you, and hope the listeners enjoy learning more about the HTA and all the things that you've been sharing with us. So, thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks very much, Alan. Most appreciate your time today. My absolute pleasure. Nice to chat to you, chap. Okay. Thank you. Bye then. Bye bye. Bye bye. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk